Welcome to the Alex Kennedy Podcast, which is brought to you by BasketballNews.com. This is episode number 30. We post new episodes every single week, so make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to this. Joining me today is Dan Grunfeld, who played basketball at Stanford and then played professionally for eight years overseas. He's also the son of former NBA player and GM Ernie Grunfeld. He has a new book called By the Grace of the Game that comes out on Tuesday. It's about his father's journey as the only player in NBA history whose parents escaped and survived the Holocaust. Over the course of several years, he interviewed his father and his grandmother for this book, and he did a fantastic job. He also writes for us at basketballnews.com, and he's done an amazing job with his articles for us. The link to order By the Grace of the Game is in the description of this podcast, so be sure to check that out. Dan, thanks for joining me. How are you? Doing great, Alex. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining me. First of all, congratulations. I know you've been working a long time on this book. First of all, what's it like after five years uh, of your life spent on this book to finally have it coming out and finally having people be able to read it, listen to it? I mean, that has to be the best feeling in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's surreal. Like Spending this much time on a project and a lot of it was just me and my computer, you know, because I spent literally years alone in a room just kind of, you know, understanding the story, coming to terms with it, writing it. And so, now, you know, so close to it being released to the whole world is like it's a little scary, you know, and it's a it's definitely a vulnerable thing. But ultimately, it's really exciting and rewarding. It's just awesome. I think a lot of fans are going to be surprised to learn about your father's story. They know Ernie Grunfeld as a former player and longtime GM. But I don't think most people know that, you know, he has this crazy background and upbringing, which you detail in the book. For people who don't know, can you kind of share a bit about his journey and what makes it so unique? Yeah, Absolutely. So like you said, my dad's well-known in sports and basketball. And uh, if you've heard him in interviews, he just sounds like a New Yorker, you know, because he, he went to Forest Hills High School in Queens. But my dad was born under communism in Romania, um, and his native language is Hungarian. So he came to the United States when he was nine years old, and, and he didn't speak a word of English, and he had never touched a basketball. And so, um, you know, but he, it's not something he talks about much publicly. So a lot of people don't really know the details of his background and probably the most Noteworthy one is that his parents are Holocaust survivors. And so my dad is the only player in NBA history who's the son of Holocaust survivors. And the research suggests he's the only athlete in the history of pro sports in America whose parents survived the Holocaust. So, you know, it's basketball kind of gave my family a new future. And it's, you know, the past hasn't been something that my dad has talked much about publicly. It's not something that he, you know, denies or avoids or anything like that. But, you know, he, he just it just hasn't been something that he's traditionally spoken a lot about. So I think, you know, people will be very surprised to know uh, the origin stories uh, of our family. Yeah, he had such a rough childhood. You know, his grandparents were killed in Auschwitz. Uh, his father was a prisoner in a labor camp. His mother was also held captive. Then he moves to the U.S. at nine years old. His brother dies from leukemia, you know, and then after all this, he kind of turned to basketball uh, and it sort of provided an escape for him. Right. A hundred percent. And so my book is called By the Grace of the Game. And I titled it that intentionally because really basketball was heaven sent for my family in many ways. Because as you mentioned, when my dad came to America, his older brother's diagnosed with leukemia, passed away within a year, you know, and again, child of Holocaust survivor. So there's so much tragedy and trauma. And he didn't find basketball as much as basketball found him because he just went to the local park to make friends and learn English. He didn't even know what basketball was really, but he just did what all the other kids were doing. And, you know, he, it just happened for him, you know, and, and, and I, you know, you, we were just talking about a story where, you know, my grandparents had not seen him play basketball until he was a junior in high school, you know, and finally saw him play. So they didn't even really know what he was doing. But 
a year after they first saw him play, he was already an All-American. He was one of the most highly recruited players in the country, you know. So he really turned into this phenomenon out of nowhere. And it was really the game that did that for us. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, talking to him or listening to him speak, you would never know that English isn't his first language. But I know that, you know, when he moved to the U.S., he didn't speak any English. And, and that was uh, something that, you know, was very difficult for him. And, and, you know, the language barrier was tough for him. How did he learn to speak English and, and how tough was that on him? It was really tough, you know, because, again, it's when you leave everything you've known behind, you come to a new country and you can't communicate. It's hard. And, you know, kids made fun of him. And he used to sit in the back of the classroom with uh, a, another student who would just, you know, help him learn words. He, they would, he would point to pictures and try to pronounce the words. You know, he, he, he just he had to learn step by step. And honestly, playing ball at the park helped him. You know, because because he just picked up what all the other kids were saying and he came just at the right time. So he, he doesn't have an accent. You know, if you come around nine, 10 years old, I think it is about the latest you can come without having an accent uh, changing languages. And so, yeah, you, you would never know. But it's ironic because when my dad came to America, my grandparents wanted him to go to a yeshiva in the Bronx, which is like a very traditional uh, school that teaches Jewish education and then also regular you know, secular education. Uh, but my dad was denied admittance because he couldn't speak English. And so he just, then he went to public school. And by the way, he was happy not to go to the yeshiva because they had to go to school on Sundays, right? So like, <laughs> he wasn't mad about that. But, you know, when he retired as a player from the Knicks, his first job was as a broadcaster. So he broadcast Knicks games on local radio. So it really shows kind of the full, the full circle nature of the story where he came to America as an immigrant, couldn't even go to school because he didn't speak the language. And then he was announcing Knicks games in perfect English on the radio. I mean, everything about this story, it really feels like it's straight out of a storybook, like to go from everything he went through, which is more than most people go through in their entire lives, you know, before the age of 10 to then, you know, becoming a gold medalist and an NBA player and having a really successful long stint as an executive. And then, like you said, being a successful broadcaster after, you know, not being able to speak English, not that long before. I mean, it really is a crazy story. I'm, I'm, that's why I'm so glad you wrote this book. It, I mean, his whole life after the age of, I don't know. 12, 13 years old, had to feel like a dream. A hundred percent. You know, this, my family has really lived in an American dream story, but I tell people it was an American dream before my dad found basketball, because listen, my grandparents, as I said, they survived the Holocaust. You know, my grandmother had seven immediate family members who were killed, you know, so we can wow. say those words, but if you really, you know, think about that, it, it's, it's almost beyond comprehension. By the way, my grandmother's 96 years old. She lives in the Bay Area, 25 minutes away from me and my wife. When I was playing basketball at Stanford, she came to every single one of my home games. You know, she'd bring my clean laundry on Sundays, uh, you know, pick up my dirty laundry, stock my fridge. Like, we've always been so close, but she was there, you know. And so it, it was not that long ago and it was not that far away. And yeah. sim similarly, you know, my, my grandfather lost his family as well, you know, in, in the war. And so, you know, for them to flee. And then by the way, after that, there was communism in Romania for like a decade. So it, it wasn't like it got that much, you know, it didn't get pretty after that, but yeah. for them to flee communism and come to the United States and have the opportunity to work for your, for a living and to have freedom and to be able to speak your mind, that's the American dream in and of itself. Right. So they were already living it, but for my dad to find basketball, which turned him into an Olympic gold medalist about 10 years after coming to America without having touched a basketball or speaking English, 
then the story really gets, you know, that's an American dream of kind of, and that's why I say in my subtitles, it's an unprecedented American dream. You know, it had never happened before. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. So I'm curious, I know while you were doing the reporting for this book, you know, you sat down with your father and your 96 year old grandmother for about, you know, over the course of a year and interviewed them, talked to them, learned a lot about their lives. Uh, I'm sure those conversations had to be very difficult and, and really emotional at times. What was that like? Yeah, they were. So when I retired from playing, I went to business school at Stanford. And that was the first time that I had some space from my own basketball career. You know, and I knew that I wanted to write this book. And I said, you know, the first phase is the research, right? I have to understand what happened at all these different kind of parts of, of my family's life. And so, yeah, for a year, talk to my grandma, talk to my dad, I would record the conversations and transcribe them. And some of the things were really joyful, you know, hearing about my dad at the University of Tennessee and kind of becoming a, a star player and what that was like and really funny, fun stories about the NBA. Like that was really fun. But there was a lot of really painful stuff. And honestly, basketball has taken my dad away from so much of this tragedy that it's not something that he's really ever cared to look back on too much because it is so painful. And mm -hmm. so we had to talk about a lot of those things, you know, and hit what happened to our family in, in Auschwitz and in, in the Holocaust and you know, his brother passing away, which is a big tragedy. And I'm named after my uncle. It's my middle name. And that's, mm. you know, that's kind of, and I say this in the book, that's a hole that can't be filled. You know, when you have someone like that taken, you know, too young, it's so these things were hard to talk about. It was emotional and yeah, but you know, and my grandma always says this about her story, just because a story is difficult, doesn't mean you shouldn't tell it, you know? And, and in this instance, she even says, because this story is difficult, you should tell it, it particularly as it relates to the Holocaust. Because she says, listen, I'm scared that, first of all, it could happen again, not just to Jewish people, to any people, but that also you won't remember those who passed, you know? Right. And so it's, it's, it's an important way to honor them. And I can say the same for my uncle. You know, I can tell my grandma now, your fa you know, our family lives forever, essentially, because their stories are told in this book. I love that. Uh, now that you had those conversations and you know exactly what your relatives went through and, and, you know, learning about them even more over the course of a year, do you feel like that strengthened your relationships and, and brought you guys closer? Yeah, I'm lucky that I have wonderful relationships with my grandma and my dad. So we're extraordinarily close anyway, but I do think it probably provided like another level of understanding for our family, you know, because there, it's such a complex history that I had to piece together. It took a lot of time, but I think I helped illuminate things for certainly for my dad, you know, who has never, you know, kind of taken the time to really understand everything that happened because he was living it. And then basketball came along and he was living that life, which, you know, was was a great ride, as you said. Um, so I, I do think in many ways, like it, it was a connector for our family, you know, and and now that the history lives and, and we we know. I've talked to people who have, you know, written about their family or, you know, did like a documentary about their family. And typically they end up learning a ton that they didn't know either, you know, things that uh, either they just had discussed in the past or, you know, little nuggets of their family's history that are new to them too. Did that happen where, you know, you were learning things about your own family that you didn't expect as you were kind of gathering information for this book? A hundred percent. I'll give you two examples. The first one is a little bit heavier, but the second one is fun. And all, and by the way, that's the nature of the book. You know, my book, there's a lot of funny stories. There's a lot of, you know, fun and entertaining stuff because, and I really learned this from my grandma, that's what life is, you know? And so there's darkness and there's light, there's sadness and there's joy. And, and that's certainly true in my family story. And so I, I tried to reflect that in the book. Uh, so the first thing I learned 
that will stick with me forever is, you know, I mentioned my uncle passed away. And so when my grandparents and my, my dad came to the United States, you know, as again, immigrants, Holocaust survivors, like they had to work. They didn't speak English. They had to work. And so my grandfather was painting houses in Connecticut. They lived in in New York City, but he had, could find work in Connecticut. Uh, my my uncle was very sick. And at the end, they knew, you know, the end was near. And my my grandfather was in Connecticut painting houses. My They got in touch with him. They said, you have to come to the hospital immediately, you know. And he didn't have a car. He used to kind of hitch rides with co- with coworkers, you know. And so no one knows how he got back so fast. But my grandma said he was back. Like as soon as someone could be back, he got back. And I asked her, honestly, I said, did he make it in time? And she said, no, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he didn't get a chance to say goodbye to his son, right? Which is my oh. uncle. And so that's a, that's a crushing detail, you know? Yeah. And, and it still stays with me. Cause, and I never would have learned that if I didn't write the book, cause I never would have asked. Cause it's so sad. It really yeah. is. You know, it, it, it's so sad. And, you know, I mentioned I'm, I'm named after him. It's my middle name. And, my son is named after my great grandfather, you know, my grandmother's father who was killed in Auschwitz. So, you know, these family names kind of live on. But, you know, so that was that was a hard detail. I'll tell you a funnier thing that I that I really enjoyed that I learned from my dad, which was he he told me that, you know, because he was this great high school player in, in New York City. And then he went to the University of Tennessee, highly recruited, a lot of fanfare, but he never played college basketball. So, he you know, he was hoping that things would work out you know, well, and he said that he remembers halftime of his first college game sitting in the locker room and, you know, somebody there gave him a stat sheet or, and he had nine points. And he said, I, and I remember thinking, wow, I have nine points. So if I have nine points again, I'll have 18 points for the game. And like, as a freshman, my first game, like maybe that means this will work out pretty well. And then he said to me, do you know how many points I had in the second half? And I thought it was going to be like zero or two, you know? And I think I said like, what, you have two points? He goes, no, I had 19 in the second half. I go, oh, so you had 28 for the game. He goes, yeah. He goes, then I thought, wow, this really could work out. You know, so yeah. It was just like these little funny stories that you never would have, <laughs> I never would have known unless we kind of dug in and talked about it. That's awesome. I was actually going to ask you, at what point did he realize that he might be able to, you know, not only play college basketball, but also become a pro and actually have this be a career for him? I think that, you know, as in high school, as he became a, like a junior, senior in high school, and he really became dominant. I think like colleges were, you know, camped out in New York city to try to get him. I think some, somewhere he understood that something was happening, but he did like, and I write about this very honestly in the book, I grew up from the time I was a little kid with my eyes set on the NBA, you know, and that was like the peak of the mountain. Yeah. And, and, and it makes the journey hard, you know, cause if you look at the top of the mountain and you know how high it is, it, it can, it can make it a little harder. My dad was just climbing, you know, he, again, with all he'd been through and, all of a sudden he found his game and he was so dominant. He was just playing. And so I think he had a sense in high school that he was very good and that things could happen. But, you know, again, it, it kind of just came, you know, but it certainly, listen, once he got to Tennessee and he was first team all SEC as a freshman. And again, he was you know almost dominant even as a freshman. I think he got a sense like I'll probably be able to do this for a long time. But it was such a, a different journey than, than, for instance, my own. You know, you, you said that you always wanted to write this book, but I'm curious because you your dad didn't really talk about this much and it was, you know, so painful for him. Uh, what was his initial reaction when you kind of brought this up to him? When did you first tell him about this book idea and, and how did he respond? So I when I was interviewing him and my grandma, I didn't 
tell them exactly what I had in mind and not because I was trying to conceal anything just because I, it's such an emotional story. I really did need the space, you know? So I just said, I want to memorialize our story. I have some plans. And so it wasn't until roughly three and a half years after I started the project that I told them what I was doing because I don't think I could have gotten it done without the solitude of, of just writing it. Cause it's so, it, it really, I mean, it was so emotional. There's a lot of hard stuff. There's a lot of wonderful stuff, but um, so it, it wasn't for some time that I told him, Hey, it's all, it's for a book, all the research and all the questions. Cause I would call him like all the time, like dad, I have a question. Like when you were playing in the Olympics and you did this, you know, so he knew, you know, he knew like I was working on something, but I didn't explain all the details. He was, so in his reaction, he was proud of me, you know, as a parent, he was grateful that I told the story, but it, it's, it's also difficult, you know, because yeah. basketball took him away from so much of this stuff. So that it was difficult then and, and it's continued to be difficult. But I think ultimately he's very proud. He's very grateful. And the same could be said for my grandma. You know, you mentioned working on the book and just writing it. You know, how long did it take you uh, from start to finish working on the writing? And then what was that writing process like for you? So it's funny because I, you know, I'd done a lot of writing when I was playing professional basketball. Writing has always been a great love in my life. And, but it would fit around my schedule. You know, when I wasn't playing, I would work on an article or I would write an opinion piece, but I did it casually. And I remember saying to my wife, man, this book is not going to happen casually. Like it's just, there's just too much here. And so I, uh, I woke up every morning for eight months at 6.02 a.m and just wrote for two hours. And people say, why 602? Why not six? And I say, why not 604? (laughs) 602 is as good of a time as any. I just, (laughs) and and honestly, I credit my ability to do that to basketball. Cause I, you know, I played professionally for eight years. I played at Stanford. Like that's what you do. You just get up and you go to practice and you do your thing. And so when I was, so about a year, year and a half of research, eight months to write that first draft. And when I got that completed, my wife was telling me how proud of me she was, which I appreciated. But really, I said, I said, listen, all I did was have the discipline to get up every morning, you know, but but that but every morning there was never, you know, that that was the thing. And so, yeah, I would sit. I, I had something that I called my writing frock, which was a hooded sweatshirt. I would, I would put it on, put that hood up, sit in the room with my computer before work and just, you know, write, you know, write a scene here, you know, write a few hundred words here and all day it would be in my mind about what I had written. I was telling people, you know, I almost sat in these moments in history, you know, so I would, when you're writing it, you're living it. And so I would be in New York city when my dad was an immigrant or I would, you know, some more difficult things or some more amazing things, you know, and certainly with my journey, which I write about also in the book. And so uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was a very, definitely very emotional process, but also a very rewarding process. Speaking of your journey, you know, how helpful was it having a dad who played in the NBA and who had all this kind of experience? You know, what were some of the biggest lessons that he passed on to you? And, you know, how how helpful was it having that sounding board and, and mentor in your life? You know, not many people have a, a NBA player down the hall they can go to for advice. Uh, you know, how helpful was that? Uh, dude, it, it was it was amazing. You know, and I write a lot in the book about the notion of privilege because I'm privileged in, in a lot of ways and certainly ways that my dad wasn't. You know, he didn't have any of the things that I had. And he made it to the top of the, of, you know, the, the game, the league and all these things. You know, I having that example of what it takes to succeed in such a hyper competitive sport, it, it's it's so valuable. You know, he really he modeled hard work and dedication. 
And then there's also the basketball side. He just knows the game so well that he would, you know, we would talk about it. I remember he telling me very young, cause I would, I played with some older kids, you know, so I was not as big. And he, t- he remember him telling me, man, you should, you should develop a floater. You know, that'll be a really good shot for you. And I was in my driveway working on my floater. All of a sudden I'm, you know, I grow to six foot six and I'm in high school and college and that's my go-to shot, but I'm big now, you know, so yeah. like just little, uh, little kind of tidbits about the game that he was really helpful with, but more so than that, just the approach, the hard work, how to be a good teammate, how to deal with adversity. Like I had phases at every part of my career where, you know, the coach wasn't playing me or things weren't going well. And I would always ask him to describe the situation and without fail, he had the answer, you know, and it usually revolved around be a good teammate work, you know, don't forget to work. Uh, but just like that resource to guide me through it, it's such a huge advantage. And I was advantaged, you know, it really was an advantage. What was it like growing up around, you know, NBA front offices too? Like I've, I've talked to Matt Babcock about this too. I know you guys are good friends and, you know, yeah. he had a similar experience where, you know, his father has been NBA executive, his un- uncles too were NBA executives. So, you know, he wrote a series for us about growing up with the Bucks and kind of being around that organization and, and basically being able to be at the arena. And it just, yeah, it's a, he has a lot of cool stories about being a child that's, you know, of an NBA executive. What was that like for you having a father who was GM and then president of basketball operations and, and kind of being able to be around the NBA growing up? I mean, that's an amazing experience for a kid. Oh, it's the coolest thing ever. Matt Babcock is the best, by the way. Um, he is. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's so it's so cool. You know, like it, it's really something that kids dream of to have access to players and to playoff games and all-star games. It, it's really fun. You learn a lot. You meet cool people. I remember sitting on the back steps of my house in New Jersey growing up and listening to my dad and Pat Riley at the kitchen table talk about trades and strategies. You know, like wow. those are conversations that I got to listen to, you know, and so that's that's a real blessing. It's so fun to experience it. Like for me and my dad, like we'd go to practices together and, you know, I'd play horse with Alan Houston and then my dad and I would go eat lunch. And, you know, that kind of upbringing is really cool it's, there's a lot of pressure to it, you know, cause listen, basketball is, you know, it's so competitive. Fan bases are very demanding. And oftentimes people are kind of evaluated by the output, but when you're on the inside, you see the input, which is kind of what goes into decision-making. And there's a lot of kind of information that the public might not be aware, aware of. And so you, you definitely learn kind of the inner workings of the machine in a, in a way that, listen, a lot of fans and are not privy to. So I think, listen, I, again, I, you know, playing at Stanford and having a successful pro career, I think my upbringing really helped that. Cause I also got to see, by the way, how the pro players approach their craft and how they worked. And that helped me too. Did any part of you ever want to become an executive or work in a front office? Because obviously you followed in your father's footsteps, you know, from a playing standpoint, but, you know, having seen all that behind the scenes uh, or, you know, were you just kind of uh, more interested in writing and doing other stuff? You know, when you first asked that question, I was going to say, yeah, every part, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I, listen, I always grew up thinking I would do what my dad does, you know, because I just, it was what I grew up around. I love the game. I have the experience with it as I grew and, you know, the world you know, takes you in different places. And so I, and I literally traveled the world playing ball and went back to school after I graduated and got my degree and, you know, became interested in, in other things. And so currently working in tech in the Bay Area but basketball is always a part of me, you know, so it's not, and and writing has actually been an amazing outlet for that. So I 
people ask me, do you work, you know, are you doing anything working in basketball now? And in my day job, no, I don't. But because I've written and, you know, particularly this book, like I'm always connected to the game. And you've been, I have to say too, you've done a great job writing for us at Basketball News too. I've really enjoyed your articles. You've done some awesome pieces for us. So anyone that, you know, isn't following Dan on Twitter, make sure you change that first of all, and definitely check out the work that he's done at Basketball News too, because it's fantastic. I do have to say that. I appreciate it. I'm grateful for the opportunity because I love what the site does is amazing. And it's been a very cool platform just to listen. We all love the game and we, and there's so, there's so many things we can engage in. And so to be able to have a platform to speak my truth about the game of basketball is awesome. So I'm grateful for that. One more thing for you. Do you have any advice for someone who is looking to write their first book? Uh, anytime I have an author on, I usually ask this question and, you know, uh, again, writing a book can be a ton of work and uh, it's much harder than people think. Uh, but any advice for someone that's approaching their first project or their first book? Sure. And again, this is all from my experience because I, I don't say that I have the, the key or I don't know the, the equation, but I've done it for myself. So I can just speak from my experiences. First and foremost is right. Just one word, right. Don't be scared to dig in. And I think the promise you make with that is, is the discipline and the work. You know, if you want to write it, you have to commit to it. And I learned that from some other folks who I've talked to who have written books who told me similar things about just the dedic- the relentless dedication it takes to do it day in and day out. So it can be intimidating. It can be scary. Sometimes like you don't know where you're going to go next or how you're going to get there. When in doubt, write, because you'll you'll figure out your way. That that's at least what happened for me. And I can't tell you all the different iterations and the you know the different versions. But I think one thing I can say is that I didn't stop going for it. You know, and and so and and then I guess the other piece of advice would be worry less about the end product because you there's no way to know what that's going to be when you're doing it because it's such a big it's there's so many moving parts just worry about the here and now and writing just writing it because the end product's going to change but if you put the time in you'll get there how did the end product of this book differ from your initial concept because i've talked to writers who they say you know i went i went and thought i was writing this kind of book and then all of a sudden it's totally different is it much different than you initially expected it's an awesome question. I will say, cause I kind of, I did drink my own Kool-Aid with this cause I didn't have that expectation of what it would be, but mm. I can tell you that it became exactly what I wanted it to be. <laughs> if that makes That's sense, good. which is great because I, and I, I was talking to my wife about this throughout the process. Like I always felt like there was a truth here because there was something so profound about what basketball had done for my family, knowing my grandmother who by the way, like we haven't really gotten into the, her story, but she's a very big Holocaust survival story where she was saved by a hero of the Holocaust, but she also saved people's lives. Mm. So I so I tell people my grandmother is not only my hero, she is a hero. So to to know what she had been through, what she had done, and the type of person she is today, like there was just so such a the the power of that in my life was so profound that I wanted to try to reflect and convey that. And I think at the end of the day, I did, but like throughout the process, like if you would have like paused it at one point in time, be like, have you done it yet? I'd be like, Ooh, not, you know, I'm not, I'm not even close, but when it was all said and done, I think I got there. That's awesome. So is there anything else that you'd like people to know about this book? Uh, and where can people purchase it? Yeah. 
ultimately, so we talked about some hard themes like the Holocaust and, you know, my uncle passed away and this and that, but ultimately the book is about hope and it's really an inspirational story and it's a happy story. And because again, for all the darkness in this history, there's much more light. And I think that's something we can all relate to. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book is I think the themes are universal, overcoming adversity, uh, you know, of course, the love of family and legacy. And for us basketball fans, what the game can mean to us and what it can do for us as individuals and for us as a family. So that's the one thing I'd, I want to say for sure is that even though there are some tough themes, it's ultimately a hopeful, inspirational book. And it's available wherever books are sold. I mean, certainly Amazon is an easy way, but my, we're supporting independent bookstores, definitely available there. Uh, very proud of the book recently reached the number one spot in its category on Amazon for new releases, which is really exciting. So there's a good moment. It's huge, man. There's good momentum behind it. And I'm just I'm just grateful because it's it's an important story to tell. And, and I'm really it's humbling that people are interested. Yeah, it's amazing. And I, I love seeing the reaction on social media and stuff too. People seem very excited about it. And that's great to see in addition to you know it being number one. So congratulations, man. Again, putting five years of work into something and then uh, you know, you're not really sure what's gonna happen. Uh for it to be getting this kind of attention and and love, it's it's great to see. So congratulations. I'm so happy for you. Thank you, man. I I really appreciate it. I'm grateful for the opportunity not only to write for basketball news, but to talk about this story a little bit. So thank you all. Absolutely. Everyone, make sure you check out By the Grace of the Game. Also, make sure you guys follow Dan on Twitter at Dan underscore Grunfeld. As I mentioned, he does a great job with us at Basketball News, writing awesome articles. Uh, great, great writer and great perspective as well. All of his articles do are, are fantastic. So check those out too. And then, yeah, make sure to order By the Grace of the Game anywhere books are found. We're also going to put a link uh, to the Amazon uh, you know, page in this podcast. So if you guys want, you know, whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you can go find the link in the description of this podcast. So definitely check that out. Uh, Dan, thanks again for your time. Appreciate it. And if you guys want to hear more episodes of this podcast, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere podcasts are found. And until next time, thanks for listening.